welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. We've got to warm up. We've got to give up. And we've got to stand up. And today, I want to look at, we've got to grow up. We've got to grow up. Everyone say, grow up. Turn to the person on your left and say, you've got to grow up. You were talking to someone's back, weren't you? I knew in my administration of that little moment it wasn't the best. But just to keep going with the theme, how about you turn to the person on your right now and do exactly the same thing? We've got to look up, we've got to warm up, we've got to give up, we've got to stand up. Got to grow up. Quite tender about what I want to share this morning, because this is the make or break subject. This is this is a signature message of mine. It's a life message, and it's where it's at. This message today determines everything, really. If we do not resolve to grow up, we will remain a child. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, when I was a child, get this, I did childish things. Understandable, yeah? It's understandable for a child to talk like a child. It's understandable for a child to think like a child. It's understandable for a child to reason like a child. That's what Paul says. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But then he says this, and you've got to catch this. But when I became a man, in other words, being a man or a woman or becoming a man or a woman doesn't just happen. You've got to become it. You've got to make some choices. You have to resolve in your will to grow up. And Paul says, when I became a man, I chose to put childish ways behind me. There's nothing sadder than someone in their 30s or 40s or 50s trying to act like a teenager. There's nothing sadder. And so our mandate is to grow up and to help me today. I just want to pray to a holy God to help me that we may have the eyes to see, the ears to hear, the hearts to receive the word that I have this morning. Because this is not just words. Church is never just about words. It's about a holy penetration that has to happen. No preacher, no matter how good he is, how eloquent he is, how knowledgeable he is, how powerful he is, alone can help a person. It's only God that can fill that God-shaped hole. And so with that in mind, I just come before you, Heavenly Father, and ask that you'd empower me through the power of the Holy Spirit to make sense of what I'm trying to share this morning. 
I ask that you would have your way in me, that you may have your way through me, and that you would grant every one of us in this place the ability to hear, the ability to see, the ability to understand and comprehend and ultimately receive the heart of your words today. And I ask that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Thanks, Kathy. I'll get you back in just a little while. That'd be great. Thank you. Let's put our hands together for Kathy. That's a great job. In John chapter 5, verse 1, sorry we don't have any slides for you this morning. That's my bad. But in John chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Sometime later, Jesus went to Jerusalem for a feast, the feast of the Jews. Now there was in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic was called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been there for 38 years. Wow. Any 38-year-olds? Anyone who's 38 in this place? I mean, that's a long time. Some of you in your 20s, you think, oh my God, I can't even imagine. That, that's a long time. 38 years this man had been an invalid. When Jesus saw him laying there and learned that he'd been there in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Seems like a silly question, doesn't it? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred while I'm trying to get in. Someone else goes down ahead of me. Excuse after excuse after excuse. Jesus, would you want to get healed? And he never answered the question. Poor old me. What about me? Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I think I'll go and eat worms. And all Jesus wants to know is you want to get healed. (laughs) Didn't ask if people like you. Said, do you want to get healed? It's amazing. When Jesus asks us questions, how we don't hear. <laughs> to get answers, you've got to be able to hear. You've got to listen. He's so, he's so caught up in his own little world. He's so, he's so upset with the world and all the people who are pushing in ahead of him and how badly he's been treated and how unfairly he's been treated. He missed the question. Sometimes we get so hurt that we miss the question. We can't hear anymore for our hurt. And Jesus, I love it. Jesus doesn't answer his questions. Jesus doesn't get sidetracked. He doesn't worry about the red herrings that come his way. He just stays on point. Don't you love that about Jesus? He stays on point. And Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. I imagine Jesus like sick of this, the whinging, the complaint. Oh my God, just, just shut up, pick up your mat and walk. Preferably away from me. Isn't that awesome? Jesus, pick up your mat and walk. I mean, I mean, this is a supernatural miracle. I mean, what has taken place here is undeniable. It's unbelievable. It's Jesus at work. But that's not the end of the story. In John chapter 5, verse 15, so a few verses later, it says, Later Jesus found this same man at the temple. And he said to him, See, you are well again. See you well. It's good to see you. It's good to see you well. Now stop sinning for something worse might happen to you. 
See, here's the story in a nutshell. This man experienced a miracle from God. 38 years is a long period of time, and you would think after 38 years that you would pretty much do anything for Jesus. How many of you have ever been in a bind and say, Jesus, if you get me out of this, I'll go to a seminary, I'll become a monk, I'll become a nun, I'll do absolutely anything, just get me out of this situation. How many of you have ever prayed that prayer? Ben has, he's the only honest one. There are others, there are others. There's hands at the back there, I see that hand, I see that hand. In the balcony, I see your hands. You would, you'd think, you'd think after a miracle like that, you would just do anything. You'd just think you'd go from strength to strength. But Jesus visits him sometime later. We don't know how long, but sometime later. And this is the question Jesus asked him. What are you doing with your life now that you can walk? How you been going? I know you got healed. I know. I was there. I saw that. But what have you been doing now? Where are you at? What's going on? In other words, Jesus saw him get up. But Jesus wanted to know one thing now. Have you grown up? I saw you get up. That's the incredible power of Jesus at work. And I believe for more and more miracles. We need more and more miracles in the church today. And I believe God is a God who heals today. And we want to see God do more and more miracles in the church. I'm believing for that. But you know, coupling what God can do, he's looking to know what we're going to do. And so he saw this man get up, but he wanted to know if he'd grown up. See, I believe the biggest threat to the church today is not devils and demons and witches and warlords and all these things. I believe the biggest problem to the church today is immaturity. People refusing to grow up. Not everyone who grows old grows up. That's the problem. Not every person who grows old grows up. Our goal is to grow up and grow into maturity. We, uh, as I've already mentioned, had the privilege of sitting under some incredible ministry this week. And one was the incredible Dr. Ravi Zacharias. And, and I mean, this, this gentleman, he's an unbelievable mind, a gift to the body of Christ. And for a man of that uh, caliber to be able to preach in such a way that was so dumbed down and so simplified that the entire congregation could follow him and he could touch your heart. There's times I'm reduced to tears. I mean, imagine a theologian reducing you to tears. Normally when a theologian reduces you to tears, it's because he's going on too long and you don't understand a word and you're wishing to God he'd be quiet. But it wasn't those kind of tears. It was, a, it was a heartfelt moving. And he said this, and it's in keeping with everything that I'm sharing today. We, he said this, we live in a world, or we are part of a culture that listens with its eyes and thinks with its feelings. Hence, herein lies the problem. We have people who listen with their eyes. And they think with their feelings. And God's priority for the church is maturity. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, he says, It was him, God himself, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's work, uh, people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach. Everyone say, All. All means all. He wants us all to reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. 
attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God, then we will no longer be infants. We'll no longer be children, thinking like children, talking like children, acting like children, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of doctrine and teaching and every cunning and craftiness and every deceitful scheme. See, God's desire for us is that we grow up and that we mature. God wants us to mature and he's given us gifts to help us mature. And those gifts are found in the church. He's given us pastors and apostles and teachers to help us mature. Isn't it amazing that so many people think you can love God and not go to church and they're missing out on the gifts that God gave to mature them? Hence, we don't mature. God is committed to our maturity, not our comfort. God wants us to reach maturity. He he doesn't mind if you're uncomfortable. He doesn't mind if you get upset. He wants you to become mature. And he's that committed. He doesn't matter how upset you get. He doesn't matter how discomforted you get. He wants you to mature. See, God is our heavenly father, not our heavenly grandfather. Grandfathers are a parent's worst nightmare. Or could I say it this way, that grandchildren are grandparents' reward for being a parent in the first place. I mean, if you, go to, if you go to my dad's fridge, it's got the five food groups. Chocolate, Tim Tams, M&Ms, Smarties, and Freddo Frogs. I mean, like, the five staple food groups right there. And all of the grandkids, 11 grandkids, know that, and they just love Tartar. They love going around Tartar's house. They love spending time with Tartar because they know they are going to get their chocolate fix. And dad gives it out liberally with no thought or no consequence to the parents that have to now deal with these chocolate-filled kids. Trying to get them to sleep is a nightmare. All this chocolate in the fridge, chocolate that was never in the fridge when we were growing up. Never. You open it now, all you see is chocolate. But God is not a grandfather to us. He's a father to us and he's going to discipline us and he's going to help us into maturity and here's the other thing about maturity God's going to have his way no matter how long it takes I can't help but feel that so many Christians get upset and miserable and because they're actually fighting God God is going to have his way God's going to have his way in my life he's going to have his way in your life And so what we need to understand about maturity is firstly, it's a process, not an event. In other words, maturity takes time. Events are wonderful. They really are. Jesus healing this man that had been an invalid for 38 years. I mean, that's an incredible moment. It really is. It's an incredible event. It's an incredible moment. We had an incredible moment last night for those who were at the Influencers Conference. The young people had an incredible time last night praying for some, I don't know, three and a half hours. All the parents were waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting while these young people were just praying and praying and praying. We were waiting. They were praying. They were praying. They were waiting, waiting, praying, waiting, praying, waiting, praying. Incredible event. And I'm not against events. We need more miracles, we need more conferences and all those things, they are great. But without a process, you'll not produce any lasting change. And so it's possible for every young person that got touched and blessed last night to 
have no change as a result of that moment is they don't add a process to it. We've got to add processes to events. Events are good for making decisions, but only a process can bring lasting change. And when we look for events to change us, it brings false expectation. A process must follow an event. And so for all of those who have been touched and blessed and encouraged over the conference, that's great. But you need to now put a process in place. For every young person that went to the conference that was encouraged, that's great. But now you need to put a process. Part of that process would be reading the Word of God on a daily basis. It would be praying on a daily basis. That's what, that's what you've got to do in order to make the most of that moment. Mitchie and Geordie went to the Influencers Conference last year and got filled and baptised in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues and they made the decision from that moment to be Bible readers and they started reading their Bible on a daily basis and it's so good to know 12 months later that they've kept up that discipline. That's what's going to change them. Not the conference alone, but the process that's been put in place. Deliverance alone is not going to change you. Healing alone is not going to change you. None of these things alone are going to change you. We need to add processes to go on to maturity. Maturity, secondly, is a sign. It's not only a process, but it's also a sign. See, immature people always demand a sign. In Luke chapter 11, verse 29, it says, As the crowds increased, Jesus said, This is a wicked generation. It asks for miraculous signs, but none will be given except the sign of Jonah. What did he mean? Well, if you understand the story of Jonah, this was it. Jonah went to a wicked city. He preached the gospel. They repented and changed. And so effectively, Jesus was saying, the only sign that's going to be given is the process of change and maturity. That's the sign I'm going to give because maturity in and of itself is a sign. The maturity of the Ninevites to repent and change was a sign to the Jews. Jesus used what they did as a sign of what the Jews needed to do. Is this making sense this morning? And if the Ninevites could respond to Jonah's message, then the Jews could respond to the message of Christ. That's what he was saying. Rabbi Zacharias went on to say in his preach the other day, that we need an apologetic, we need a reason for our faith that is not just heard, but is also seen. I think this is the confusing thing to the world today, that they hear lots of things, they hear that they're going to hell, they hear about a God of love, they hear lots of things, but they don't see it. Ravi said that we need an apologetic that is heard and it must be seen. Jesus amazes me. There's one account where Jesus is standing before Pilate. And you can read it for yourself in Mark chapter 15. In verse 1 it says, Very early in the morning the chief priests and the elders and the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin reached the decision. They bound Jesus. So Jesus had just been arrested, been taken to Pilate. And it says they bound him and they led him away and handed him to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate asked. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. The, uh, the, the, priests, the chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply. And get this. It says, Pilate was amazed. 
I mean, here's Jesus. He's done nothing wrong. He's been uh, arrested. He's been accused. He's been handed to Pilate. And Pilate's like, aren't you going to defend yourself? Aren't you going to say something? And Jesus remained silent. And it says, Pilate was amazed. I believe maturity is a sign. And it's the maturity in us that's going to speak to people the most. When's the last time you amazed somebody? Because of your active maturity. When's the last time you amazed someone? I mean, this is Jesus, a man who did no wrong. He was only there to help people. He was abused and accused, and he never sulked. And Pilate's just amazed. I mean, this is Jesus' opportunity now, but he doesn't go there. Someone asked me recently this question. How is it, Tony, that you tend to live so healed? And this is a person who knows me pretty well and gets to examine my life pretty closely. And when the question was asked of me, I couldn't actually answer the question at the time. But I thought it was a great question and worth pondering. And I started thinking about what is it that helps me to overcome the hurt and the pain that is associated with dealing with humanity. And after thinking about it for some time, I started to think, I think it's because when you stop and think about what's really happening, you can get to the bottom of a situation. And so the key to living healed ultimately is about understanding what's really happening. What's really going on here? You see, Jesus, when he hung upon the cross, he said seven things. And one of those things was this. He said, Father, in other words, his eyes were up, not down. Father, forgive them. I mean, here's a man who's been beaten, abused, accused. He's now on a cross and they're waiting for him to die. And even while they're waiting for him to die, they're still mocking him. And this is what Jesus says, forgive them. Why? Because they don't know what they're doing. In other words, Jesus was able to see beyond what was happening and see what was really happening. And there are far too many Christians that are getting far too upset with far too many things because we don't have the ability to see what's really happening. Essentially, we're dealing with the people who don't know what they're doing. They don't know how to parent. They don't know how to husband. They don't know how to be a wife. They don't know what they're doing and they're just venting. And we need to hold our line and see beyond that and not take things so personally. Once you take it personally, it's all over. Once it gets personal, it's all over. The moment anything in your life gets personal, it's all over for you. But Jesus never made it personal. He looks up, he says, Father. His eyes are on the Father. He looks down at his mother and sees her, the pain she's going through. And he says to one of his disciples, the one he loved, John, he says, John, I want you to look after her. He's thinking of others even on the cross. Jesus has got a criminal to his right, a criminal to his left. One's mocking him. The other one tells the other, uh, the, the other criminal to be quiet because we are getting what we deserve, but this man is not, uh, not getting what he deserves. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. He's thinking of others. He's not taking it personally. Yeah. 
And I think by God's grace, I've been able to see what's really going on and not take it personally to be able to keep moving on. It doesn't mean I don't get hurt. It doesn't mean I don't get upset. It doesn't mean I have to work through it. But we work through it this way. See, I don't know what you woke up to this morning, but this is what Kath and I woke up to this morning. The downstairs light was on. And we've just moved into a brand new home and I look down and I think that those kids left the light on. Don't they understand you have to pay for power? Who would agree with me? Power is expensive. Something they've left the lights on. We can't afford to keep leaving lights on. Turn the lights off. That's what I'm thinking. But I'm trying to be quiet because I'm up early. So I'm tiptoeing around so as not to wake the kids because silence is golden in our house. And so I'm having this quiet, those kids. When they get up. And then I put the kettle on as I always do. And I go to grab my phone. Where's my phone gone? That's weird. You know, where's Cass' phone gone? That's even weirder. Then I start looking around, where's this, where's this, where's this? Last night, while we were in bed, someone came into our home and just decided to help themselves to some things. Where's God? After all I've done for Him, This is what I have chosen. I went for a walk and said, God, I need your wisdom and your perspective. And God started showing me things. And Kath and I talked about it. We thought, Isn't it good? I think God put me in a deep sleep so I didn't wake up. Because <laughs> I, I, I don't know had I woken up and heard someone in my home with kids, what I'm capable of. This morning could look oh so different. I might not have been here this morning. I, I might have been in jail this morning. And so I, like, I find myself saying, God, thank you for giving me a, a great night's sleep. Thank you for keeping me asleep and keeping my family safe. Because all the things that were taken, I can replace. And then I start getting real revelation. That, that's just a supervision. Then I start going deeper. And I start realizing, hang on a minute. This is nothing to do with the stuff that was taken. This is nothing to do with those that have taken it. This is nothing to do with our house being violated. You don't want to focus on that. This has got everything to do with me. I'm preaching a message about growing up. I'm preaching a message on about maturity. And this is my opportunity to model maturity. This is my opportunity to be Christ. It's my opportunity to say, it works. And I started getting really excited. I started, I can't wait to come and tell people about what's happened so that I can say, you know what? God's on his throne. It's cool. But here's the key. What are you going to focus on? Are you going to focus on all the rubbish or are you going to focus on the God? Where's God? I'll tell you where God is. On his throne, he's in control as much as he ever has been. I also know that there is one who's trying to kill, steal, and destroy. And I also know that uh, my home was full of a, a whole uh, house of pastor's kids. Not just our kids, but also Matt and Jill McGaw's kids were with us. And, and, and I also know there's an enemy that wants to, to get us off point. And wants to try and rob us of an incredible night that happened just the night before. 
Our kids came back pumped. Nathan and, and, and Daniel came back and said, man, it was unbelievable. There was tears everywhere. I was praying for someone. They were crying. They were praying for me. I was crying. Oh, it was unbelievable. It's an amazing night. And then this happens. And I think to myself, what, what, what am I going to focus on? Because at the end of the day, that, 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 that's the difference between maturity and immaturity. It's what you choose to focus on. We've all got reasons to give up. We've all got reasons to give in. We've all got reasons to be upset with somebody for something. Every one of us have. But what are you going to focus on? This church is not perfect. But this, per- this church has changed people and helped people and blessed people. The community is better for this church. Even our politicians know that. Our politicians thank this church for its existence. Do you know that? It's not perfect. See, I, I, I will concede that there are some people that are very offended, offending, uh, offensive, sorry. There are some people who are just offensive. Everything they say and everything they do, they're just offensive. They're just like, man, get a life. And I know some of those people. But I know far more people that are offendable than offensive. Isn't it amazing when someone offends you, we get so upset, he he offended me. Well, maybe, just maybe the problem is you getting so offended in the first place. Because no one can offend you if you don't get offended. Doesn't matter how offensive someone is. If you choose not to be offended, and I just choose under God not to be offended about what happened last night. Just made a choice. I've made a choice, I'm not going to let it ruin my today. And I'm not going to let it ruin my opportunity to preach. Kath has had to make a heap of phone calls and cancel this and cancel that and, and cancel the other and then the police and she's going to have to shoot off straight after this service and, and deal with all the stuff that you've got to deal with when these things happen. But I'll tell you where I'll be tomorrow morning. I'll get up early. I'll put the kettle on. I'll read my Bible. I'll go for a run and I'll praise God and I'll give him glory and give him honour because he's worthy. It changes nothing. And it means I don't have a phone, so none of you can get in touch with me. I'll just like, praise Jesus. It's just, none of you can say, I didn't like the message this morning. I, I just haven't got a phone. Phone Pete, tell him. Lots of good to come from things like this. There we go. Let's all phone my number, shall we? Let's just. So don't personalize it. People, listen, you've got to catch this. Resolve this year not to get so personal with things. It's the end of you. It'll be the end of you. I said this morning in the praise and worship time, we all grow tired. We all grow weary. But imagine if we approach life like we do our Christianity. We just give up the moment we are running dry. No, no, no. When we, have, when we need food and we run out of food, we go get some more. When we run out of petrol, what do we do? We go get some more petrol. What happens when we're running out of faith? We give up. We say, I tried Christianity. No, no, we go get more faith. 
We go get in the presence of God more. We seek God more. We get more of him. And get more perspective, more clarity, more of his word, more of his ways. Let's resolve this year to grow up. If Kathy and the team can come back, that'd be great. Lastly, maturity just produces fruit. See, God's not looking for an eventful life. He's looking for a fruitful one. Prophecy, signs, wonders, miracles, all those things, they're great. But without a process, they're not going to mean much. Jesus said that you can recognize a tree by its fruit. You know, in, in, in the world in which we live, people don't like absolutes. They don't like tangibles. We like to keep everything in the ethereal. But Jesus made things measurable. He said, you can judge where someone's at by their fruit, how they're responding. You, you can judge. A good fruit, a tree will produce good fruit and a bad tree will produce bad fruit. That's what Jesus said. People say, oh, I love God, I just don't want to go to church. Now that shows me where you're at with God. It's measurable. If you can't stand being around God's people, it's a reflection of where you're at with God. Because God loves his people. It's actually measurable. You've got to catch this. If you're not reading your Bible anymore, it, it, it shows where you're at. If you've stopped praying, it shows where you're at. I love stopping arguments with this. What, do you, what, what did you read this morning when someone's complaining about something? And invariably, I, uh, nothing. When's the last time you read anything? It's been a while now. Yeah, you just run out. You're empty. That's your problem. We make everyone else our problem when the problem's us and our emptiness. Can you imagine running out of petrol, you're on the side of the road, and then blaming every other car that drives past you? <laughs> Stupid car, who do you think you are? Like, nah, your problems just need more petrol. The problem's you and you're, just, you're empty. For me to get bitter and bent out of shape because someone's broken into my home, shows me where I'm at. It's a test on me. Where am I at? Is the offense bigger or is God bigger? It shows me where I'm at. What's going to be bigger in my thinking? I'm going to, I'm going to put God bigger in my thinking. And it helps me to know where I'm at. It's, these things are sent to help us know where we're at. When Adam sinned, he tried to hide from God. And God says, Adam, where are you? Now, it's not like God didn't know where he was. When you try and hide from God, it's ridiculous. And so God knows exactly where Adam is. But what he was really asking is not, where are you? I can see you, Adam. You're behind that tree. I can see you. I know where you are, but where are you at? That, that, that's the question. Where are you at? And the question that God asks of us today is, where, where are we at? 
So we had a great New Year's. We made some great resolutions. We had a great holiday. The man had a great miracle, 38 years. But Jesus will come back. He'll come back sometime later. Just to see how we're going. It's good to see you doing well. How are you going? Where are you at? Because he's committed to our maturity. He's not committed to our comfort. He's committed to our maturity. He's not even committed to our healing. Many Christians die of ill health. He's committed to our maturity. Conferences, signs, wonders, miracles, healings, events, they're all great, but they are insufficient in and of themselves. In order for us to become mature, we must embrace God's plan. And part of God's plan is discipline and patience and obedience and a godly lifestyle. And you'll never get that in a conference. Sorry. You'll never get that with a TV evangelist. You only get it in the local church. Because the great thing about the local church is there's people that know you. The evangelists have prophesied over you. They don't know you. They don't know the addictions and the problems and the things that are going on in your world. That's why the Bible says, blessed is he who is planted in the house of God. And so for me, next week I'll be in the house of God. Week after that in the house of God. Week after that in the house of God. Tomorrow morning reading and praying. Because it's these processes that are going to bring us to maturity. And if we could get this right, we can ultimately help others. It was Rabbi Zacharias, as I said earlier, who said, We live in a world that listens with its eyes and thinks with its feelings. And we're meant to use our eyes to look at the Word of God. We're meant to use our minds to think about the Word of God, not how we feel. If you were to ask me how being broken into last night makes me feel, oh, I've got a thousand answers, and none of them help me. I feel all sorts of things if you get me going. Just it's not where the answer is. The answer is never in my feelings. Are you kidding me? Yeah, some of the young people have their feet. They're probably on cloud nine, conference. Wow, awesome. Can't sustain those things. Feelings come, feelings go, but the word of God remains forever. And if we could just dumb our faith and belief down to some of the biggest broad brush strokes. You know, you know for me, when it comes to living healed, it's as simple as this. No one has offended me more than I've offended God. And yet he forgives me. So I can look at those who've upset me with forgiveness because Jesus first forgave me. It's simple. The gospel's simple. It's not hard. It's just simple.
I thank God for conferences. I thank God for men and friendships that I have. But Benny Prayers was not there in my bedroom this morning. He has no idea what just happened. Couldn't call on Pastor Benny, Pastor Ashley. But I can call on God. And so can you. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And God bless.